0: Bird. You would make us more like the people you intend us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do you please sit. Um, I- I'm English, and uh, therefore I have a, uh, a constitution... ...that uh, inclines me to support the underdog. Um, There are those in the world who naturally support winners. I tend instinctively to support losers. I I was on a plane. Uh, It shows you how deep this goes in me. I was on a plane recently on the way to the States. And um, the pilot announced that there would be a food service... ...and uh, the options would be pasta with sun-dried tomato or stuffed chicken with uh, potato and vegetables. Now, I know from having been on the flight a few times that, um, that anything with pasta is always uh, the main option. It's what lots and lots of people go for. And there's always a the little apology that says, we're sorry if when we come to it, we've run out of what you want. And just for a fraction of a second, I felt sorry for the chicken. <laughs> the chicken had been dead several days... It did not need my sympathy, but just for a moment I thought, I'd better have the chicken. And then I thought, no, no, it's not my problem, I'll, I'll hold out, I will have the pasta with sun-dried tomatoes. But it shows how deeply inside you an instinct for the underdog can go. Um, uh, so I, what, I, what I want to do is I, I want to run a little quiz for a moment. Uh, I, I know at least 49 people, because that was the total this morning on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook page of the church had seen this uh, quiz coming up. So uh, some of you are ready for this. I want you to tell me what your favourite gospel is. Moment to think. Not, don't need to talk to anyone else about it. Just moment, but I want you to think, what is your favourite gospel? Some of you won't have one. That's absolutely fine. I'm just going to ask those who do know what their favourite gospel is. Okay, let's do it in reverse order. Uh, John, a uh, goodly number. Uh, Luke. So if you Mark. If you're, yeah, Matthew. Okay. Uh, I'm with the Matthews. Uh, I think Mark, actually, uh, got the fewest points. So Mark is the underdog. Um, but John is definitely the favourite Um, uh, and Matthew and Luke uh, in the middle. Luke with rather more than Matthew. So Matthew's the second underdog, uh, but Matthew is what concerns us uh, this morning. Please turn, if you would, to page 994. Uh, We often uh, miss out reading Mark because most of Mark is in the other Gospels somewhere. Uh, Mark's the quickest, by the way, if you haven't got long, uh, you can race through it, and it moves at a, a clip because uh, Mark's favorite word is the word suddenly. And so it's gone boom, 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 boom. Um, uh, Matthew um, tends to pause and to have uh, great big blocks of, of teaching. He's very uh, concerned uh, to record Jesus' teaching on how the disciples, how the kingdom is to look uh, once Jesus has gone. Um, and uh, today we have that uh, part of the story that relates to what's going to happen at the end. The beginning of uh, verse 14, it says, again, it will be like, what will be like, go back to verse 1, to that time the kingdom of heaven will be. Pretty obvious, we're talking about the end of all things. This is about the return of Jesus Christ. And that in itself, there's more, I think, probably in Matthew, On the return of Christ than there is in the other Gospels, and that itself may give us a bit of a wobble and mean that we're not too keen uh, to listen to it. Yet the return of Jesus is good news, it's gospel, it's part of the story. God made a creation that was fantastic. We really messed it up at the fall of Adam. God did all kinds of things about it, but held back his best till the last when he sends Jesus, uh, who uh, dies on a cross pays the penalty for all of that failure, who then rises to be Lord of all, and it's good news that our Lord is coming back. We see darkly, but we shall then see clearly. Heaven is our home, we're now just passing through. It's good news, and yet announce it cold, and even we feel fear and anxiety. Why Why would that be the case? I guess because... We all know uh, what we've done. But sin is much more about what we've not done. And that's where this uh, parable is intended uh, to assist us. Let's just remind ourselves, uh, whatever else we're going to go on to say, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like, that means we're going to be accountable. It's a major theme. In Matthew's Gospel, as he records what Jesus had to say. We haven't actually in the kingdom series had a great deal about uh, the, uh, the, the judgment, our accountability. So it's it's an important theme to get to within this series. Because it is, after all, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like, because everything after this, the return of Jesus, is going to be the kingdom of heaven. Everything after the return of Jesus is going to be the kingdom of God. So now is just practice of the kingdom for the fullness of the kingdom. Well, in chapter 24, if we had been reading all the way through Matthew, we'd have learned from Jesus that the return of Jesus is going to be sudden. But then at the beginning of chapter 25, verses 1 through to 13, and the story of the ten virgins and the five foolish ones, five wise ones with that oil. Read it later if you don't know it. That tells us that the the return of Jesus to the fullness of his kingdom is going to be delayed. We learn that the world is going to be judged and that we won't all end up in the same place. We learn that at least from this passage, and then we're going to learn that again if we carry on reading to the parable of the sheep and the goats. So the return of Jesus involves... Suddenness, uh, a delay, a recognition we're not all going to be in the same place. Not surprising that there's an element of fear and anxiety. But the fear is not meant to paralyze us, it's meant to motivate us. If you have been up to now, like Servant Three, if because of the extraordinary preaching of the word, at Holy Trinity this morning, you go home and go, oh yes, I've been like that. Tell me, Alan, what should I do? Don't worry, I will tell you, and you can do something about it. It's good news that we get to this today. We live now aware of the not yet. We're not yet living in the moments after the return of Jesus. And in that gap, the story of the virgins has told us that we're to be ready. But what does readiness look like? And that's what our parable today is intended to answer. That we are to discharge our responsibilities fully in that time frame, in the not yet. So let's get to these talents, most unfortunate word. Because it, it, it's, it's a bit like, because it's spelt the same as, the word we use for a, an ability. But it's not. A talent, it's always hard to, to say because you have to kind of guess what inflation would have done in the, in the time in between. But a talent was worth in excess of a £1,000. So even the one with one talent has a lot of responsibility landed on him. It's not like those stories you hear of vicars handing out tenors and saying to the congregation, go and do things useful with it. And this vicar is not going to be handing out thousand <laughs> pound checks, by the way, just in case that's kind of made you a little more interested in the parable than you might otherwise have been. What it is, is a ceaseless working. There's no... Ev- the, um, in the story, the man who goes away, who has these servants, uh, goes, back, goes away on a long journey, and he comes back after a long time, and there's no indication that in that long time, they did anything other, servants one and two, from keep working. Now, Will and I have been at a, a clergy conference most of the week, and uh, it, it, clergy conferences always have the the same kind of feel to them, and it's for a good reason. And the feel is always, come apart, rest. Remember what it is you were called to do in the first place. Because the truth is that most clergy suffer uh, very badly uh, from a capacity to overwork, to, to drive themselves too much. Whether they're working at the right things is always one of the reasons why we have those conferences. But it is to be... Despite a, a tendency in some of us to overwork, I don't think I suffer from that particularly, by the way, so don't worry for me too much. Um, uh, because of a, because, despite that tendency to overwork, that doesn't mean that we kind of come back from it and say, well, obviously, the kingdom is just going to come in when Jesus says so, and I needn't do anything uh, in the meantime. This is about ceaseless Engagement of all that we are, to fulfill the purposes of the kingdom. It is constant, measured, focused work for a long time, seeing your work as kingdom work. And if you can't call what you do kingdom work, then Jesus seems to say, don't do it. So whatever else we say, it covers your day job, whatever that may be just as much as it does church. However you will use your hours, Jesus says, employ them for the kingdom. So, slaves one, or servants one and two. Uh, In some ways, I suppose it's a a well-known story, but we should just uh, uh, run through it because it won't be known to everyone. Servant uh, one has five talents and uh, uh, works and uh, put his money to work, and he gains five more. The one with two puts his money to work and gains five more. Now, the third one, he goes away and buries it. We're not told why, but when the uh, master comes back, uh, the, uh, the one with one talent says, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed, so I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Well, the experts reckon that amongst other things, uh, Jesus is having a pop at the uh, Pharisees at this point. They were those who have hidden away from everyone else what they have. They told everyone else what to do, but they wouldn't let them into the privileges of being the people of God. They had a religion without risk or change. They simply wanted to bury everything away. Their concern, like the concern of the third, third servant, was mostly to do nothing wrong. Uh, not, not to work, not to be energetic, not to, not to uh, take things forward. Just not to do anything wrong. Now, I, I, it was not entirely clear to me. I think the first half of the service was either about sheep or football. Um, and at various points, the two connected. But imagine um, uh, if you'd been the third uh, servant. It only occurred to me, because I didn't know during the service, because I hadn't uh, sort of prepared with this in mind. Uh, imagine you were the third servant on a football field. What would it look like to do nothing wrong? What would it look like for 11 men or women on a football team to do nothing wrong? Or or, or any other sport you choose to mention? Now, depending on how you think of do nothing wrong, it would look like being superb at what they do, or it would look like just doing nothing. The third servant is concerned to do nothing wrong, because he doesn't want to take a risk, because he reckons he knows what his master is like. Of course, if the master were like that, he wouldn't have given out the talents in the first place. And when the master comes back, there's a sort of heavy irony in his language. So you knew, did you? I harvested where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. All right, that's the way you think I am, then that's the way I'll treat you. But it clearly isn't the way he is, because he wouldn't have given out the talents in the first place. Well, it seems to me that there are three, three points worth summarizing. And then we'll look at what holds us back. Uh, this uh, message, the talents, is for each of us. It's for all of us, and it's for all that it is. It's for each one of us. See, so someone here, guaranteeably, has heard that story today and said, I don't have any talents. Read the story, and forgiving the double negative, let me remind you from the story that nobody has no talents. Even the third servant has one talent. Yet yeah, you may not have many, you may have ten. Remembering it's not talents equals natural abilities. It's just all that you know you have. It may not be a great deal, but nobody has no talents. So no one in this room is excluded from whatever this parable is talking about. Not one of us. It's for each of us, therefore. It's also for all of us. Because it isn't abilities, it's responsibilities. And I was thinking, I think I've heard this story told and preached, something like this, over the the years. Um, uh, Here is something. There is Elizabeth. Uh, Here is the talents whatever we think they may be, whatever that responsibility looks like. Now, I'm going to give this responsibility to Elizabeth. She's going to weigh, go to go away, make it work, and give me five. Oh, look, five back. Isn't that nice? But she's, she's taken something and made more of it, and it's all external to her. I think I've heard this story as though it's about external things. And in what I just played out, there's no change in Elizabeth. And what this is, it's not abilities, it's responsibilities. It's not, it's, it is what I do with absolutely everything that I am and have. Some of us are married, and we may have said those words, all that I am, I give to you, all that I have, I share with you. It's not less when it comes to God. And whether married or not, all of us can be saying, should be saying that with God. It's not we get something and do something with it, and it gets to be bigger. Because that leaves us out. It's everything that we are. Every single responsibility we have. And life's mostly made up of responsibilities for ourselves and others. It's for each of us. It's for all of each of us. And it's for all that is. I was glad that we... We prayed for the environment in our uh, prayers earlier as Trevor led us. Because, in fact, we are given everything. St. Paul says at one point, uh, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Everything that is, is part of God's creation. And therefore, our responsibilities have no limit to them. All that is is the field of this parable for each of us, for all of each of us, and for all that is. There's no boundary to this parable. There's no point at which we can go in and say, okay, now I'm really glad I read that parable because I've realized I can, I can do a bit more and I can, I can put a boundary around it and then it'll be neat and sorted. No way. Because actually, the way the parable works is, you get five, ta- you have five talents, you get five talents more. Well, what, that gives you ten talents. Well, what happens then? Well, until Jesus comes back, you've got to deal with more talents. So I want to ask now, what holds us back? And I offer some suggestions. Firstly, a church assumption. an assumption that runs something a bit like this. Well, the kingdom of God, so far as it's expressed at Holy Trinity at my church, looks like it's a kind of a a 50-talent sort of um, uh, enterprise. So I've got eight talents, um, so I'll contribute two of mine, because others are going to put in, obviously, and eventually we'll reach the 50. Just as we say... When it uh, comes to giving, the question is not what we give; it's what we keep. What what do we ever begin to think of as ours? What an absurd thought! It's all the talents that we start with and the talents that we uh, bring back. They all begin with God. So there's no way that whatever we're involved in, we should be saying. Um, God, thank you very much for all that you've given me. Um, I'm going to give you this bit of my life, and within that I'm going to give uh, this bit and devote this bit of time, effort, work, whatever, to the church, because everyone's uh, going to be involved. The the arithmetic makes worldly sense, and no heavenly sense at all. We prayed for Rachel going off to uh, train at college, Oh, she's going to train to be a missionary. Good for Rachel. She's going to eventually to go abroad to talk to other people about Jesus. It's really sad when we do that to people who are uh, uh, actually mission partners or in training to be mission partners. And forget all of us, each of us, for all that is uh, for the kingdom. Yes, it's right we should pray for Rachel. Please, God, let's keep doing it Uh, and support her in various ways. But let's remember that we ask Rachel to pray for us because we're supposed to be in the same business, the talent business. So there's something that holds us back when we are uh, worldly in our arithmetic and making church assumptions. Secondly, I call this a kingdom assumption that, Alan, I'm sure you're absolutely right to say this uh, about the parable. Um, The only thing is, Alan, life right now is, it's too busy, it's too hard, it's too trying, and it's too emotionally demanding for me to be engaging on behalf of the kingdom. Now, uh, actually, I, I, I know you reasonably well over time. There's probably not one of you wouldn't have a reason for saying something like that. I certainly would if I talked it it to myself. And it's wrong. There will be ways of engaging your responsibilities, maybe differently, but engaging your responsibilities just as much within the ways in which life is busy or hard or trying or emotionally difficult. See, Jesus does not say in this uh, parable, as he give, uh, as the king the the master sorry the master gives things the talents away, the master does not say to any of them, "I'm sorry to do this to you at a difficult time, and I'll quite understand if you go away and bury this for a while." He will say to us, "What have you done with it?" He doesn't let us off because he knows uh, that that good stuff lies the other side of our kingdom engagement. Whatever position in life we're in, he doesn't want to brutalize us, but uh, I I, I suppose I think of it uh, because uh, Nigel Chapman's in hospital at the moment. I think of all the people I've known over the years, many from our own congregation, who in hospital have borne witness for the kingdom of God. uh, many people would look at them and say, okay, well, they've been kind of taken out of the equation for a while. No, they haven't. They've borne witness for the kingdom of God, wherever they are. And sometimes it's it's not because they've croaked out a presentation of um, two ways to live or the bridge to life diagram while they've been on their hospital bed. It's just because they've responded with love and a certain kind of attention uh, to what they receive. Wherever we stand in life, we are able to be engaged for God's kingdom. So let's not take the church assumption, let's not take the kingdom assumption, neither let's take a a risk assumption, a fear. Some of you will know where this slide is. It's in the UK? Yeah, Trevor. It's the Adam and Eve rocks on uh, Triven I haven't actually done that um I did cheat um in that you see where there's the gap between the rocks well just just below the gap there is a piece of rock so it's not quite as terrifying uh as it as it looks Uh, but it is on my list of um following my father's footsteps around Snowdonia so um uh, it's one of the things you're supposed to do when you get to the top of Triven I bet those with long legs have done that haven't they Phil You couldn't even see it was so cloudy, but you jumped anyway. Now, that's risk. (laughs) Great. Uh, (laughs) Step of faith. faith. Let me ask, what are you risking right now for your faith? Uh, Overnight, um, I came across this quotation from an interview that's in The Observer today with uh, Lord Paddy Ashton, uh, talking about the other political parties. And what he said in the political question is this, in the end... I like to see what a p- politician would stand up against the wall and be shot for. That's, that's what I read. And I thought, oh, I'll use that quote. And then Trevor said in his prayers about those threatened with beheading if they don't convert. The risk not taken attracts judgment. there is a particular danger of thinking that risk is really very important, clearly from this parable, but risk is for the person next to me. And I think it's worth saying that this is not intended to be a gathering of safe people, generally, with a few risk-takers on the outside. Could you put up the next slide, Robin? See that circle? Now imagine that All the risk takers are on the outside as the yellow line, and the rest of us are in the middle as the blue disk. It's quite a small circle. If you take all the people that are on the inside of the disk and turn them into risk takers on the outside, this is the circle you end up with. It's a bit bigger. Just imagine the kingdom impact that just the ones in the room could have. Not Never mind the people who aren't here this morning, those who will be here this evening. Just imagine the kingdom impact. If every single one of us, in whatever condition we may be, and it will be tough for many most of the time. If all of us were taking the risks of servants one and two... We don't all have five talents. In the story, one has five, one has two. But imagine the kingdom impact. Imagine what Jesus wants of us. What disc does he want us to be like? What circle does he want us to be like? Yes, I know there will always be the need to care for those who are struggling. But that care is itself a kingdom impact. That care itself takes risks. Imagine the kingdom impact. Can we pray together? Lord God, we uh, read this story. And we're reminded that the judgment that comes... When there are risks not taken, we're also reminded of the reward that comes with risks taken and used for your kingdom. Forgive us when the truth is that we want to avoid responsibility. Forgive us when the truth is that we make excuses, hoping that someone else will take responsibility. And give us that courage. Sometimes the weather is foggy. And sometimes it would just be really stupid to take that uh, jump across. Often enough, the working may not be very risky, and we can see with clear sight what's needed. But today, Lord, I sense that our challenge is simply to face what's in front of us and to beseech you that you would make us a people of kingdom impact. And then, Lord, receive us as your brothers and sisters, no longer your servants, that we may join you in beholding with clear sight the face of the Father. Amen.